0: Without the intervention of the Holy Spirit, that object will never be God. Never. Do you think that statement's true? The Bible tells us that the thing that will capture our imagination, our hearts, and our hope, unless the the holy spirit intervenes that object will never be god never is that true is that true of your life do you see that do you see that god had to come in and change you give you a desire for him otherwise you you wouldn't look for him you'd form a god of your own fashion, your own desire. Well, let's look to this story of of Gideon. Now, after uh, Barak and and, uh, Deborah, we see that the land has rest for 40 years, right at the end of, of chapter five, there so forty years, one generation, there has been rest, and we've been looking at that at that cycle. Um, of that evil that that is done, the sin. And the servitude, supplication, salvation, and silence or, or Sabbath. And we're going to see that played out, I think, um, not all the way this this morning, of course, because we're going to stop short in Gideon's story. We're only going to give you chapter 6, which is a pretty good-sized chunk anyway. It's 1 through 40. So, But Gideon, I think, himself is a picture of this cycle. We're going to see it played out in his life, part of it here. In chapter 6. Chapter 6 begins like this. The people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. And the Lord gave them into the hand of Midian seven years. So again, Israel does evil. But what is this evil again? Well, this time, the Midianites, the Amalekites... The people of the east come to oppress Israel. That oppression is economic, right? They come in to devour the crops, and they leave no sustenance. They take the sheep, they take the oxen, the donkeys, all all that you need to survive in this day, right? So the people are starving. And instead of sending a Savior, as the people cry out to God, God sends a prophet. It seems to me that the main job a prophet has was not always to foretell the future, but to expose the sin of disobedience to the Lord and call the people to repentance, to stop doing what was evil in the eyes of the Lord and to start doing what is right seeking the Lord nobody likes this this uh, occupation of prophet right when when you come to somebody and you and you tell them they're they're hurting and you tell them of the sin in their life and their need for repentance Usually people don't want to hear that. They want the problem fixed. They don't want God to fix them so they can deal with the problem. I, I think of this prophet. I can't remember his name. He's in. I think it's in uh, Kings, where he comes and he he is going to give a prophecy. Actually, he's he's told by one king. Uh, who i think it's ahab is one of the kings and and all the prophets are giving him a good report of of the uh, battle that's going to come up and and this other king that's going to fight with him says well isn't there any other prophet of the lord here and he says yeah there's this guy but he never has anything good to say about me and he says well let's let's inquire of him let's bring him in and at first this prophet says yeah you're going to win you're going to have victory and and Ahab tells him, hey, didn't I tell you always to tell me the truth? And he goes, okay, well, you're going to get slaughtered. <laughs> and he goes, you see, I told you. This guy never has anything good to say about me. He always gives a bad report. And usually we avoid people like that, right? We, we want somebody to encourage us. We want somebody to tell us we're doing a good job, that how spiritual we are and, and all these things. We don't like it when people tell us uh, the truth. We don't, want, we don't like it when people ask us questions like, hey, what's the question you don't want me to ask you? What's the question you wouldn't want me to ask? You don't want to have to answer that question. And so the prophet here reminds them of what the Lord did for them. Right? God did something. He took you out of bondage. He delivered you from the hands of the Egyptians. And He drove all those who oppressed you out. And I think he's including here the past judges that we've already seen. God is the one who, working through those judges, drove the people out. We see the weakness of those judges, and yet the power of God to work through them. And so the the Lord says, so don't be afraid of those gods. Why are you afraid of those gods? What can they do to you? You have not obeyed me. Why? What is the God that grips you with fear more than the fear of me? And so the heart of the problem here isn't isn't a political or military weakness. It is a spiritual idolatry. The people are running after other gods. And so... God calls Gideon, verse eleven through twenty-four. I'm not reading through all those verses because it's it's quite a bit to read. Hopefully, you have read read ahead. So the angel of the Lord comes to Gideon, who is hiding in this wine press. Right, he's he's uh, separating the wheat from the chaff, trying to get a little grain, and, and you can see hear how terrified he is he's hiding in this wine press not wanting to be seen by these raiders that come in wanting to take a little grain home to make some bread and he's called by God the angel of the Lord comes into the scene and calls this man a mighty man of valor in his cowardice there um, trying to get a little bit of sustenance to take home he is called a mighty man of valor. But he protests this, and and uh, he said, because of this angel, of the Lord said, the Lord's with you. Oh, really? He's, he's with me. Well, then, why is this? Why is there all this oppression if the Lord is with me? And he asks, well, where are those wonderful deeds that we were told? Or that I was told by my father. So, uh, Chris had said last week that that the people had forgotten uh, of the Lord and they needed to be reminded. Here it looks like they had been reminded. Gideon knows the story. He's, he tells us that he was told by his father this story. Where are these wonderful deeds that that my father told me has happened. He says, did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now we're forsaken. Hmm, I wonder why. Why are you forsaken, Gideon? Gideon's told that he will deliver Israel, not by his own power, but by the power of the Lord who will be with him. So the reason he's a mighty man of valor is because the Lord is with him, because the Lord will be there to fight the battle. But Gideon is is afraid. He's weak. He doesn't believe it can happen. So he asks for a sign. And he builds an altar. Right? There had to have been a little bit of time going... Passing here because he had to run back to his house. Prepare a goat, get the bread, uh, an ephah, I think it says, which is an enormous amount of bread that he brought back, brought back the meat. And then God instructs him to pour the broth over the meat, soak everything, soak the bread on this rock. And the angel of the Lord touches it with his staff and it's consumed in fire. And it's vaporized. And Gideon is terrified. Suddenly he realizes that this is the Lord that he has been face to face with. Which is an interesting thing, right? This, This person, this angel of the Lord, is also called the Lord. And many would say this: this is a pre-incarnate image of Christ Himself, who comes in this scene. Because uh, you know, some would say, "Well, it just God was just using this this messenger." That's what angel means is a messenger to speak for Him. But uh, the Scripture says there that that the Lord turned to Him, and so this figure. Uh, who probably looked like a man, suddenly Gideon, Gideon realizes it's actually the Lord. And he's terrified. Because to look face to face with the Lord, you've heard in the, in the Old Testament, is to die. But he doesn't die. God reassures him with a blessing of peace. Peace to you, Gideon. And so Gideon calls him the Lord is peace, or Yahweh Shalom. God is peace. You want peace in your life? Peace isn't just the absence of war and of struggle. Peace is an inward joy and a flourishing that only God can give us. move on to tearing down the altar here Gideon is instructed to tear down the altar of Baal verse 25 through 35 now Baal is a god of war a god of war and a god of fertility so we might not have an image of Baal I I looked it up it was you know this guy looked looked like a man and then the this uh, counterpart to him is the Asherah pole, which is the female, um, that are supposed to get together to produce. Right? They produce the crops, and and then uh, and of course your your livestock will continue to have young and and reproduce, and also the, the womb, also. And so this god of uh, of war speaks of a god who. We look for for power, right, for security. We're speaking of idols this morning. What are, the, what are the idols that we have now of power, of security? What is going to keep us safe? What, what is the God that will do that for us? Or fertility, right, This this fruitfulness, this provision that comes. Where will we look for this provision? Here they're looking to the God of Baal for provision rather than Yahweh. Shalom. And so he's instructed, take this altar and tear it down. And by the way, this is his father's altar. This is his dad's altar to this false god. The the dad who told him the stories about Egypt and how they were brought out of bondage. And so he takes the Asherah pole um, and he's instructed to chop it down, cut it up. It's it's made of wood, and then pull down the altar with a couple of bulls. You're pulling down this altar that's been built, and build on that place this altar to God. And in in the Old Testament, they were whenever they're instructed to to build an altar to the Lord, they were never to carve any of the pieces of stone. They had to be pieces that were just intact. They they couldn't be broken up or whatever. You just Stack the stones up because you don't want to make this image of anything, right? Unlike the the altar of Baal. Baal was a man who was was standing there with a thing on his head and he was this image of a man. That was broken down. The stones were built up. And the Asherah pole, the false god there, was used as the fire to burn the second bull, which was a seven-year-old bull. Was to be placed on there and burned up. And so Gideon's told to do this, but he does it at night. And if you read there, Gideon takes ten of his servants, which is a hint here that maybe he's, his family isn't as weak as he claimed it to be. Because if you read earlier in the story, he says, Well, I have the smallest. Um, smallest people, right? The Benjamin Knights again. And uh, I'm the least in my father's house. And yet here, he has ten servants that he takes and helps him do this deed at night, building this altar. They do it at night because he is afraid of his family and he's afraid of the people, what they might do. So the next day, the men of the city, they they ask, who has broken down this altar? And the Asherah. And they find out it's Gideon. And, of course, they want to kill him. But then something strange, I think it's strange, his father comes to defend him. This is his father's altar that's been built. His son is has knocked it down. The people come against the son, and now the father defends him and says, "Hey if if Baal is God, let him contend for himself or let him defend himself. You know if he can really do it he'll he'll kill Gideon by tomorrow." And so here's an interesting thing that and God comes into our lives, right he He invades our lives. sometimes the most difficult people to tell are those in our own family, right? I mean you might you might have not experienced that maybe you grew up in a household with with this belief or told all the time about the story of God, but think if you weren't. Think how difficult it would be. Or maybe you're even brought up in another religion. And suddenly God comes and encounters you. And you realize that you hadn't been worshiping God. That the true God, the creator God, this God of peace is the the one you should be worshiping. And you come home and you find out your family is not worshiping the same God. How difficult is it to to profess to them what you truly believe, what you truly know? But this is how people respond when their idols are threatened. We say we worship the Lord, but the world has crept in and controls our hearts. Right Again, we might like this, this God In some ways, this God of the Bible, the things that he's done. But if he's going to take something from me that I really love, I don't know about that. The question there is, who has your heart? Let's move to the story of the fleece. Famous story here. Uh, Most of you have probably grown up in the church. You've heard this story a hundred times, this fleece that that Gideon puts out again, he's weak here. He, he has weak faith. He's not sure of himself. And so he asks God, just, just let me do this. And he puts out a fleece and wants it, God wants God to make the fleece wet and and all around the fleece dry. And the next day he asks, asks for the opposite. Which, which the fleece being wet is, is kind of easy. You know, I mean, actually they used to do that in those days, put out the fleece to gather some moisture and, and be able to get some water. Uh, so he asked them to do the opposite, which is much more difficult, to put the fleece out and the, there, the fleece is completely dry and all around it is wet. And uh, God does this. <laughs> I mean, he, he doesn't even, he doesn't object to it at all. You know, I was I was kind of thinking through that. Okay, the prophet came, he announces his stuff, and then here the the scene switches to the angel of the Lord. He comes to Gideon. He doesn't mention anything about the prophet, right? Everything that the the angel is doing is encouraging him. He's not rebuking him at all. It seems. He's encouraging. You're the mighty man of valor, right? You're gonna you're gonna take this this people on. And it's amazing. God just does what he has. Now, some have con- condemned uh, Gideon for this action, but if it was sinful, why did God respond? Why did he do it? And others have chosen to imitate Gideon by saying, Lord, if you want me to take this job, let me get a phone call from them today. That'll be the sign. Right? That's the putting out of the fleece. Which is contradictory to uh, what the Bible says. And even what what Gideon should know, uh, because before before the book of Joshua, we have the book of Deuteronomy 6.16 that says there, do not test the Lord your God. Do not put the Lord your God to the test. And uh, even Jesus himself quotes that same scripture when he is tempted by the devil to jump jump off of uh, this high place and and the devil quotes from the Bible quotes a Bible verse from him I think it's Psalm psalm 90 or I think it's 90 or 91, 91 he quotes from and says see the angels will 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 take you up lest you dash your foot against a stone and he says no the Bible says do not tempt the Lord your God do not test him and so what's going on here with with Gideon was very specific, right? Gideon doesn't know the God that we know or know Him in the way we know Him. He didn't have his, his Bible there. He couldn't go back to his tent and, and pull open his Bible and, and see what kind of a God this is that he may be speaking to. He knows that this God Baal is supposed to be a God over nature and able to bring fertility to the land, the crops, the animals. And so he asks God, very specifically, to do this miracle, I think, to show him his uh, power over nature, that he is a God, that was the God who brought the plagues on Israel, if you remember. The way God controlled the weather there, the water, and everything else. So we have to remember that, that Gideon, again, doesn't, doesn't have the full picture like we do. Um, if you read through the Old Testament, you will get God's um, defining himself, right? You, you see him in, in, with Abraham. He is Yahweh, um, the provider. And here he is um, God, our shalom, our peace. With Moses as he was up, uh, def, you know, told to raise his hands as they, and if he kept his hands raised, he would win the battle against the Amalekites. He was the God, the, the banner, God is our banner who, who stands over us, to watch over us, and he is our victory. And so Gideon, again, is ask, asking something very specific, wanting to know, and be reassured that this is the God who he's been told about the God of wonders. So what are some practical applications here of this story of Gideon? Well, we continually need number 1 the bad and the good news of the gospel. Right? Like the Israelites we tend to have worldly sorrow instead of godly sorrow over our sin. 2 Corinthians 7:10 Paul there speaks of that worldly sorrow. Worldly sorrow is a a regret. You have a regret for being caught for your sin, which is different from uh, repentance, a repenting sorrow, one that turns away from that sin, sees that it is evil, and turns away from it. What sin in your life do you regret, but you don't? You don't want to repent of it. You still like that sin. You might regret the consequences that that sin might have brought into your life, but the sin itself is still good. And there's no desire to turn away from it. We want God to fix our problems, money problems, relational problems, but we're unwilling to obey His Word when He says, be generous or... Don't have sex outside of marriage. Don't put other things before me. It's funny that some people want to know God's will, but they still disobey when they read it plainly out of the Scripture. You see, we try to figure out ways in which we can maneuver a commandment to fit our own desire. But the gospel says we're more sinful than we really realize. We'd care to admit. That's the bad news. But the good news is that God's demonstrated his love to us. And that loves us more than we could ever hope for. He has come to set us free from the idols that would destroy us, enslave us. Have power over us. Rob us of joy. Number two, idolatry is often a mixture of true and false worship. Like Joash, uh, Gideon's father, we may be able to recite some of the things that God has done for us, but still have our idols that we are prone to worship alongside of God. What are the idols we may put next to God? We like this God. And we want to add him to whatever we already believe. The gods have not changed. For human nature has not changed. And these are the gods that humanity regularly recreates for himself. What does it want? If it is modest, secure, security and comfort, and reasonable enjoyment. That's what we want. If ambitious, power and wealth, and unbridled self-indulgence. In every age, there are forces at work which promise to meet our desires, whether political, political programs, economic theories, career options, philosophies, lifestyle options, entertainment programs, all having one feature in common. They promise that they can make our lives better, better than we can make them ourselves. Yet at the same time, they appear amenable moldable, shapeable to our manipulating them so we can get what we want without losing our independence. Here's the enemy among us. We say we worship the Lord, but the world has crept in and controls our hearts. What has crept into your own heart to control it? Number three, we get very angry when our idols are threatened. Remember when the altar of Baal was destroyed, the the people wanted to kill Gideon. Similarly, we can define or we can discern a, a, a false idol in our life when we, how we react when we lose that or when it's threatened to be lost. If it's money, and we think it's a good gift from God. If you lose it, well, you're going to be disappointed, yes. But if that money has become a god in your life, then when you lose it you'll be devastated you'll you'll have this feeling of hopelessness. Again, these idols can be good things. Our own family can be an idol. We have a desire to protect them, to love them to 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 uh, nurture them. but if they're the main focus of our attention and our love and devotion, then when they're taken away, life isn't worth living anymore. Again, that family could be a good gift. And if you lost them, of course, you're going to grieve for that. But if they are the center of your life, if you lose them, you can't go on with life. So what are the idols that have captured your heart? We, we saw some of them on the screen. The comfort, the, the power, the, the desire for control, approval. Number four, there's a tension between wanting strong faith and having weak faith. Gideon seems to have weak faith. But he did not have what we have today. The Word, the Spirit, and the people of God who have the Spirit of God also. The Word to guide us, the Spirit to empower us, the people to counsel us. So if we have questions, if we have doubts and fears, we have those who can come around us, pray for us, and we can confess to them, what is it that's on our hearts? What is it that's pulling us away or making us? Anxious. God is a gracious God, but we should strive to take Him at His word and not doubt that provision. We must continue to identify our idols and place them under the authority of God's word. If we don't, then we will do what is evil in the sight of the Lord, right? We'll do what's right in our own eyes. And we will believe that we can define good and evil for ourselves when we can't. Unless we believe in our hearts, that our hearts are more deceitful than we can imagine, then we're going to fall victim to the idols, the false gods of the world. The bad news of the gospel always gives way to the good news of of God's incredible, indescribable love for us that comes to set us free. So if the cardinals lose the day and you're ready to commit suicide. Uh, that might be an idol in your life. <laughs> um, but that is something that, that is very difficult to discern. What is the, What is the thing that I love more than I love God? Because these things are usually things that we can get a hold of, right? Or we can take account of, right? I can look at my account, see every, all the bills are paid, and this, this is what it means. This is when God loves me, when all my debts are paid. When I'm in debt, He doesn't love me as much. You know, financial peace is a, is a good thing, but it, it can't bring you shalom, which only the God of peace can bring. There are many, many things, good things, gracious things that God gives us. But unless we cling to the Lord, we will destroy those things too. We'll destroy our family if we put them as God in our lives. We'll destroy our our finances if we put them as God in our lives. We'll make a mess of things. We'll, we'll, We'll love the money more than we love people. Let's pray. Father, we seek to do your will, and and uh, I have to admit, God, that it is hard. Very hard at times, Lord. I, I have to admit that there are places in my heart where where I don't want there to be a God because I don't want to obey. But, God, you are gracious, gracious as you were to Gideon. And through his doubts, through his weakness, you reassured him, Lord, as you reassure us that in Christ, we can be forgiven. We can have a perfection that we cannot earn, but that is given by faith. We can have power through the resurrection to identify the idols that would capture our hearts and lead us away from you, God. Pray, Father, that you would be the center of our lives That we would desire you more than anything. And that we would never be afraid to help a brother in seeing if there's an idol in their lives that would consume them and destroy them. We love you, Lord. Expose our hearts today. Strengthen us as only you can. In Jesus' name, amen.